we're good. I'm ready to go whenever you're ready to go, baby. Born ready. Okay. Season two, episode 23, Stats of Matter. Tim, the NFL is back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We made it. 17 long, long weeks of regular season. Another, like, almost month of the postseason. And for everyone who wants to know when Valentine's Day is this year, it's the day after the Super Bowl. So mark it on your calendars. Uh, you shouldn't miss this one. <laughs> We're going to recap week one of the NFL season, and we're going to look ahead to week two. In our cups this week, it's an amber ale from Moab, Utah, and a macchiato-inspired beer from Oxford, Connecticut. All about the coffee beers, Tim. I don't expect anything less of you. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram at Stats of Matter and on Twitter at Stats Podcast. Find Stats of Matter wherever you get your podcast. Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Google, the World Wide Web. Ask Alexa. She'll play it for you. Tim, let's get into the damn show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Oh, Tim, <laughs> you got you got a, a Decalin Metcalf size chip on your shoulder today, mm-hmm. and that is because you uh, talked that shit last year. Mm-hmm. You said that the Patriots going to win more games than the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert: they didn't. Mm-hmm. And you had to buy a Decalin Metcalf jersey, and you are rocking it. How does it feel to be wearing? The action green and navy blue with right, one so, Decalin Metcalf. So for anyone who has picked up on my uh, my my sullen mood that I have not uh, <laughs> even tried to hide, uh, it's because yeah, as Sam has pointed out, I am currently rocking a jersey that is uh, not a Patriots jersey, a Bruins jersey, or Red Sox jersey. Uh, but I will say, if there was a player whom I would Rock a jersey for Metcalf would probably be one of them. So for those of you who don't remember, made a bet last year. Um, I thought, well, I didn't think the Patriots were going to come out and uh, steamroll anybody. I thought they might find ways to win more games than the Seahawks. And obviously we all know how that went down. So I, uh, I am a man of my word. I am uh, currently sporting my Metcalf jersey as we speak. I feel dirty and disgusting and, uh, you know, all in all, I'm not liking it. I'm the statement, the statement, I believe, is don't write checks your ass can't cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Strong. before the end of this podcast, I think we're gonna have to. Uh, I think we're gonna have to figure out what's on the line for this year because I think we gotta run it back. <laughs> okay, you'll just have to buy another jersey. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm getting good yeah. at these things now. Although right. the tra- it is slightly unfair that we did have uh, one game to kind of get a, a preview of what the season might look like yep yeah and anyway you know. <sighs> anyway i would i would taunt you but then i would catch a you know personal foul like the Kayla metcalf did in the game <laughs> we'll get there tim start us off tell us the beer you're drinking it's macchiato inspired you're clearly not going to sleep tonight at a decent time yeah, so I have a caramel macchiato from uh, Black Hog Brewing. It's a coffee milk stout made with you know all the normal fixings you would tend to find in one of these. Um, I've talked a little bit about Black Hog before. It's something that I had uh, I had ties to. Uh, I spent a, a little bit of time working out of that brewery, helping with a lot of the production related stuff. Uh, big fan of their beers, uh, their stouts, and the barley wines and the stuff that they put out. They, they were. For the longest time, they were one that, you know, kind of steered clear of trying to keep up with the big, you know, hot farms of the uh, of the brewing world. Um, since I've come out with a, a, 
a few of their own IPAs that are, you know, worth noting. But for me, their strong suit has always been in their, you know, non-IPA brand, the, the, the stouts, the barley wines, the sours. Um, they had a lot of experimental beers that were on tap for a while. And it was always funny because you would hear some of these like um, Goza made with water from the Long Island Sound and seaweed. And you'd be like, mm, nah. But then when you try it, you're like, oh, this actually is really good. I used to, whenever I would work the tap room and we had events where, you know, it was open bar or something like that. Uh, everyone would come up and they'd be ordering the same beers. And I'd have to say, all right, look, you guys can have, you know, bottomless cups of whatever it is you like. Why don't we try some of these other ones just to see? And sure enough, you know, there would be at least a handful of them that would migrate over to some of these other sort of experimental beers that That's, they weren't they weren't big fans of. So. What a company man right there. You might <laughs> like the flagship, but try some of our Randalls or one off. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to tell you, especially uh, it, it, funny enough, it was a lot of the women who came in who were always looking for like super light beers or something like that. I was like, yeah, yeah, we got, we got plenty of beers that'll, you know, fit your need, but Hey, why are you here? If you don't like it, I'll give you a sample. If you don't like it, we'll, we'll toss it and I'll fill you back up. And sure enough, almost every one of those events, they'd end up, you know, drinking some sort of Saison or, or Goza or maybe some, you know, lighter style sour or something. It was always, it was always fun. So anyway, I, uh, I had seen this one coming down the pipeline. Uh, I full disclosure, I haven't worked there in several years. Um, you're old. We get it. But, <laughs> but uh, I saw this one coming down the pipeline and, and, and had to grab it because I am a big fan of their uh, their coffee stouts. It's made right with actual coffee, which a lot of people just add coffee flavoring to it. This one is is legit. In fact, uh, brewing days were always the best for these because we would uh, come in in the morning and we would drop uh, coffee shots from what they would brew into uh, the coffee stouts and we would just pound a coffee filled beer. It was great. Nice. <laughs> but all right. <clears throat> very dark. Very, very, very dark. dark. Yeah. I, uh, if I'm drinking a coffee stout, I like that. Um, yeah. So I actually have never had this one before. They had a couple stouts that came out that I didn't try. So this is legitimately my first pass on this. And it's very, very good. Um, it's got a lot of the coffee bitterness to it, which I actually really like when I'm going into, you know, my, my coffee porters and my, my coffee stouts and things like that. The, the milk sugar and the, the caramel that's in there kind of sweetens it up just a little bit, but it bounces out pretty nice. Um, I'm actually, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from them, but I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by how much I actually like it. Um, you know, I'm coming from, you know, I won't. I won't name any of the names for any of the bingo cards that are out there. But uh, I'm a I'm a big stout drinker, so I've Here had a go. lot of stouts over Here the years. Here we go. Um, and this one actually holds up pretty well to a lot of those in terms of uh, like a traditional stout style. Like it's, I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to call this like a fully adjunct stout. Um, but it's really good. I'm gonna give this one a. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a a, a solid four. I think. Yeah, I'll give this one a solid four. Yeah, it's not too sweet. Like a lot of that, you know, I don't know if anybody knows what a, a macchiato is, but it tends to be uh, like like frothed milk and caramel and sometimes like, a, you know, like a, a cream to go along with it. Um, but 
And you would expect maybe this to be a little sweet, and it's not. I was actually a little concerned it was going to come across too sweet. And it is that like bitter coffee kind of mutes, not mutes, but kind of puts the sweetness in check. And it, it actually comes out really balanced. I like this a lot. Yeah, you said, I think, do you say it was caramel? Are there any caramel notes in there you get? It's, they're subtle. They're like really, really subtle. You get them like right off the, right off the first sip. You get a lot of the coffee bitterness, but then as it kind of mellows a little bit, some of the sweeter notes from both the, you know, the, the milk sugar, cause it is a, a milk stout, but some of those milk sugars and caramels. So they kind of like creep in a little bit to bring that bitterness down, but it never comes in so strong that it tastes sweet or artificial. So it's good. I think it's really well balanced. I don't know if I would necessarily say this tastes like a, a caramel macchiato. So if that's what you're looking for in this can, don't do that. But very rarely do you taste a beer, especially when it comes to a stout that tastes exactly like what it's, you know, labeled as it's they're they're generally going for a combination of the same type, the same kind of flavors you would find in those. And it's really difficult to nail those spot on, but this is, this is really, really good. This is, and, and also one other thing, macchiatos tend to be, if you ever order one and you expect it to be super sweet, it isn't. It's made with, uh, I'm pretty sure it's made with like espresso. So it's going to have that espresso bitterness to it. Um, and this kind of is in that same vein. So you're not going to get a sweet, like extra milk, extra sugar, extra whatever you would normally get in a, in a very sweet coffee. Um, if you were expecting that in this drink, you're not going to get that either. This is, this is a really good um, bitter milk stout with some, some sweeter sort of cream and, and uh, caramel notes sort of on the, on the finish. Nice. There you go. Shout out to Blackhawk. All right. I'm going to hold this clearly in front of the camera so you can you can tell me that you can see it. This is Dead Horse Amber Ale by Moab Brewery from Moab, Utah. Shout out to Craig, Craig the Keg Doctor. Craig recently went on a tour de USA. After a successful service in the Navy, he decided he wanted to go take a nice long road trip, went all the way across America and back, went to a ton of places, Hooked your boy up with a literal suitcase of beer from around the United States. And he said, I don't care what you do with it. I just want one of them to make it to what's in my cup. I said, I got you, fam. Most of the other ones are gone. <laughs> they, they did not make it to the episode. Uh, but th this is pretty cool. So, again, Dead Horse Amber Ale. Right across the top, it says you can't beat a dead horse. That's not true. <laughs> you most certainly can. But maybe, maybe because like all their beers from, um, let's see from a brewery that they all have these little taglines like the, this other one that's a ipa it's put some hops in your step that one's not really that good right you know as far as one-liners go but this one you know you can't beat a dead horse well i think you can but maybe it's a good metaphor get the get the brain going so you know, well, really listen to this podcast we all know that one of us is fully capable of beating all the dead horses <laughs> that's why i'm drinking it pours a nice deep golden Golden amber hue. Mm -hmm. Really like it. I would say if you take a look at that, it's probably just about a shade or so lighter than like Yingling. Uh, usually with amber beers, you get that nice caramel malt taste. So I'm looking forward to that. Shout out to the Pine Box in Seattle. That's where I got this glass. Fantastic place. Got to do it for the check-in. So, mm. you yes. know. I got to get on the check-in bandwagon again because it's been so long that uh i feel like a fraud if anybody tries to look up where it is that i'm uh you know, what i'm checking in and, and any of that stuff so i'll, I'll get on that but anyway, Def yeah you definitely should 
Uh, and send me a photo of that beer too before you drink it all. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I sm- I'm smelling a ton of caramel malt. Let's see what we got here. Something with amber ales. Usually, the caramel malt is like either too thin or too thick. Yep. So you have an amber ale like Do- Dosakis is a great example of this. Great amber ale, super thin. Could drink probably about 40 of them. Like a good amber ale is supposed to be a, like a bit hearty. You know what I mean? This is kind of going that way, but most of the beers from uh, Moab Brewery are a little bit on the thin side. Mm-hmm. I think that's by design because if you're in the desert uh, in Utah, you probably don't want something that's about 900 calories while you're slogging them down after you've just hiked up and down the, uh, you know, the, the mountains out there. So I don't mind it at all. I really like it. There's a few more of these in the fridge. I fully intend on the hottest day, which is tomorrow, because it's been 90s mostly all week. Mm. I'm going to go out on the back porch and let the sun shine and definitely drink the other three. My rating is also going to start with a three, and it's going to be a three seven for me. This nice. this is a, this is a really good. I don't know if I could drink it daily because I again it's a little bit thinner, and I, I kind of like a real hearty amber ale. But this is this is pretty good. Shout out to Craig. Appreciate you literally beer storking this across America. (laughs) Bootlegging and all. Nice work. Well, Tim, we are back in the NFL season finally. And the week started with a barn burner and ended with a barn burner. Let's not waste any more time. Get into it. Tell us what happened Thursday Night Football. Uh, Thursday Night Football, for anybody who uh, lives under a rock, was the return of Tampa Bay and uh, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Uh, this was a phenomenal, phenomenal game. Uh, I think both teams showed up and played extremely well. A lot of eyes were on Dak Prescott and how he was going to real coming back from the injury. He could not have played any better, I don't think. Um <clears throat> He had 58 passing attempts, which, you know, coming off of an ankle injury and against a team that does tend to bring a lot of pressure, uh, it's a lot. But um, overall, 42 of 58, 403 yards. He did have three touchdowns and one interception. But in general, he was just lights out the entire day. Um, Tom Brady on the other side of the ball, equally as good. Uh, 32 of 50. 379 yards in total, uh, four touchdowns. He did have two interceptions, though. Um, Tom Brady is one of those that when I look at his numbers, because he's not a when – you, when you see and you compare like 42 of 58 to 32 of 50, it sounds like a much bigger difference than what it actually is. Some of the differences in play are why it's not, it's not always trustworthy to look at his attempts versus completions because he's not a mobile quarterback. He tends to throw the ball away when he sees a play is dead. Um, so that's not really, you know, you hear that and you think, oh, you know, he barely made over 50% of his passes. It's not, that's not at all what it was. But um, for me, the biggest takeaway from this game, obviously, you know, let's, let's first, we'll talk about the Cowboys because I think they made a huge difference comparative to last year. They were a, and anybody who watches any sort of sports news has heard this same phrase over and over, but they were historically bad last year. Uh, Like really, really bad. Uh, Not just, worse in the league, but worse in the league over the last, you know, decade or so. Uh, I felt like they really kind of came back and, and showed some life um, 
in this particular game, going up against Brady, who has a uh, you know a full roster that's all firing on all cylinders, is going to be a really really hard task, especially when they start mixing in guys that um, you know knew had potential, but last year really didn't get involved as much until they did later in the season. You had Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski both get heavily involved, um, combining for over 200 yards between the two of them. Um, I had said early on when we talked about Rob Gronkowski during our little mock draft that I thought he might actually make a pretty big impact coming into the season because last season he came off of retirement, they had no preseason. Um, he's very football smart, but he has his progressions, he has his routines, and he was kind of out of all that last year. Coming in this year, I know it's game one. I'm not trying to jump the gun and, and, and make some bold prediction I'm going to regret in six weeks. But I do think we're going to see a very different look from him and Antonio Brown because, uh, you know, the thing that in Sam and I caught, got caught a little back and forth in which Sam doesn't actually read anything I write. He just <laughs> sees it the way he wants to see it and says it. Um, I made yeah. a comparison on Instagram where I was not comparing – the Cowboys versus the Buccaneers in week one in this particular game, what I was saying was Tom Brady, and this is strictly from a fantasy perspective, is probably the worst thing that could happen to a wide receiving core because when he is on a team and they are firing at all cylinders, you never know who's going to be the one to get the ball at any given time in any given game. If you told me you drafted Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski on your fantasy team, I would probably call you a liar because at the tail end of this game, I just happened to go on and look at all five of the leagues I'm in, and Rob Gronkowski was either picked in the eighth round, the seventh round, or he was still available, in which I scooped him up just to keep him as a bench player. Um, some people did. Some people took the gamble on it. I mean, it, it you know, you never know, and it could pay off. But if they pick them, they didn't pick them early. They picked him much, much later on in the draft, if at all. Uh, if you picked Antonio Brown anywhere in like the fifth or above, he might even still be available in some of your leagues. I, I, I think he had more upswing coming into it than, than that. But in any event, this is a prime example of what happens when Tom Brady is playing well. And if you had any questions on his arm strength or ability, um, he was making some pretty impressive passes. He was throwing like, 25-yard lasers. He was throwing like a 40-yard bomb. He, His numbers were like a few drops away from being just overly gaudy, over-the-top numbers because he had one 50-yard bomb that was perfectly in the hands of the receiver, and it just got dropped. He had, he had several of those. Um, but in terms of fantasy, uh, I would be leery to play any one of those guys on any big week unless he's your flex player because uh, you never know week in to week out. This week it could be Godwin. Next week it could be Antonio Brown. The week after it could be the ball boy. They just decide to sneak in with a jersey because he plays for the open man. But um, in terms of these two teams, I think they're both going to do really well. I was really impressed with the Cowboys. Uh, you know, their first game back, Zeke wasn't even really involved. So once they get him going, could be a whole different look, but fantastic game if you missed it. And I think one of the best ways to kick off the season, uh, that pass at the end, you know, everyone's probably talked it to ad nauseum at the end. I personally don't think that it was enough to warn a call. I think there was a little bit of acting that kind of went into it, you know, in the same way basketball players who get tapped on the shoulder, like fling themselves across. It was a back shoulder pass. They both had their hands on each other. 
and he turned to make the catch, and suddenly, you know, this professional cornerback lost his legging and, and fell over. I'm, I don't know, hit or miss. It could have gone either way, but I don't know if I would have called it either. We complain all the time about people going overboard with, with calls, and uh, we seem to be eating more flags uh, from week one. I'm, I'm happy about it. All right, moving on to the Sunday games, 1 o'clock slate, Jacksonville, Houston, Texans. If you'd asked me last week, I'd have said Houston is going to get Waxonville. And instead, Jacksonville got Waxonville. Uh, if you started to Rod Taylor, David Johnson, Brandon Cooks on your daily fantasy team, you might have like won some games because they were a touchdown scoring machine. That doesn't even sound right to say out loud. Head coach David Cullen, new head coach, first win in the NFL week one. At a week when most every new coach is getting thumped, guy pulled out a dub. Deshaun Watson on the sideline, not playing, still requesting a trade, still oof, don't want to touch that situation with the 10-foot pole. Wow. We probably put a little too much stock into the rookie redemption. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to walk on water. Three picks, three touchdowns, and it happened in that order. (laughs) (laughs) Three interceptions and then three touchdowns. To stop what was, you know, a, a blowout game from the from the very beginning. Um, so, new head coach, new quarterback. Uh, mostly a same team, but there's been some injuries. Obviously, Travis Etienne having the list Frank injury, not being there. Probably not a lot of chemistry going on in that team. They're going to take a little bit of time to kind of gel and, and get together. It was good to see Trevor Lawrence go ahead and score those 21 points. I saw some meme floating around that this is the first game that he's lost. Uh, like the almost the entirety of his like semi-professional career. Like he didn't lose a single game in high school. He didn't lose a single game in the regular season in college. Obviously, you know what I mean? You, you win a championship and then you lose, you know, another one. It's like, I guess that doesn't count. We, we pick the cherry, <laughs> we cherry pick the stats that we want, but. Because they don't matter. That is correct. Stats don't matter. Put on the bingo card. <laughs> I don't know that this game was more of a fluke for Jacksonville just not showing up with the team uh, than Houston showing me exactly what they're going to have going forward. I love that Terod Taylor's back, uh, just absolutely taking his, I, I think, probably one of his last shots and just trying to just completely change this team's trajectory. Um, it's going to be okay until they can't find a trade partner for Deshaun Watson, and then that's going to be icky for a couple weeks. Um, so, you know, you, you've, you've got to take those things where you get them. I was wrong. I will definitely – Give the Rook a little more credit than I probably should have. And I guess I need to respect Mr. Taylor. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> I um, I got the Chargers-Washington game. I still like that they don't have a name. It's, it's my favorite. But uh, I'm going to fault a one uh, uh, Nate Staples for jinxing this team. Um <laughs> Nate is, a, Nate is a passive, casual listener every now and again. Uh, I was talking to him last week with a couple of my guy friends, and uh, he said he was, you know, happy to have a quarterback. He was tired of the rotation. He was tired of, you know, having four or five quarterbacks in a season. So I'm going to put the blame for this one squarely on him because if you did not watch this game, uh wasn't great. The Washington offensive line was bad. It was it was like really bad. And the and the prime example of that not only was you know 
the injury that uh, Fitzpatrick took, but how many times he got hit that led up to the big hit where he got knocked out in the second quarter. Um, man, they he, he just couldn't find room. He couldn't get away. It was just ugly all around. Um, Taylor ended up having to come in. He went 11 for 15. He had 122 yards, one touchdown, uh, which all sounds great on paper, even though they lost. But uh, Taylor hasn't had uh, more than uh, uh, three or more than one touchdown in any single season in his entire career. So this is basically the last touchdown they're going to have in terms of, of passing going forward if that trend continues. But um, they almost managed to pull off the win. Uh, they were making a charge downfield. Antonio Gibson ended up fumbling late in the game. Washington, uh, Washington had the lead at that point. Chargers recovered. Herbert showed some signs of some of the, the success he had last week, capitalized on a – a late game, 15 play drive. Um, he was 31 of 47, 337 yards, one touchdown, did have an interception. Uh, but is it the second most passing yards the first 16 games, uh, his 16 starts in NFL history? The only person he's behind is Patrick Mahomes. So uh, not, a, not, not a bad start for them. Uh, you, you would expect them to win against a team like Washington, who's still struggling to kind of discover what their future is going to look like. They have a lot in the air. You thought they would have made moves for, you know, a, a, a premier quarterback like a lot of the other teams didn't uh, did, and they chose not to do that. And now we're about to see uh, what happens, but I don't have the highest hopes for them. Chargers do need a little bit of work to kind of get it all dialed in, but I, I do think they were off to, uh, off to a good start. Well, we have now come to my favorite part of the episode in which we talk about these Seattle Seahawks. Listen, <laughs> if you've watched any Seattle Seahawks games or if you've listened to anything I've ever said about watching a Seattle football game, this is how it goes. They don't score in the first quarter. They don't score in the second quarter. Maybe they score once. They score maybe in the third quarter. And then they save all the scoring opportunities for the fourth quarter. But usually they're behind – and then they win by one score. It's super fucking stressful. That didn't happen. From the very moment that they got the Indianapolis Colts off the field because they 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 were they won the opening kickoff and they, and they deferred it to the second half. They looked like they were just the Colts were just marching down the field. I'm like, oh great, here we go. Crack another beer. This is gonna be a rough, rough, rough day. Uh, and that was not to be. Uh, they stopped Carson Wentz. And then when the when the Seattle Seahawks took the field underneath new offense coordinator Shane Waldron, there was jet sweeps, there was misdirections, there was passes to running backs, there was tight ends catching balls, there was third down conversions that were coming out of nowhere, there was beautiful moon balls to Tyler Lockett, and DeKayla Metcalf got involved late. They both went over 100 yards. I could not believe. I thought I was in the matrix. I was like, this has to be fake. They won handily handily did they win 28 to 16 but for Carson Wentz to come back he got completely roughed up Seattle was getting pressure at some point with just three individuals which is just fantastic I don't want to get too on board the hype train I'm I'm gonna try and contain my excitement 
but seeing screenplays that weren't blown up in the backfield, seeing Russ only get sacked a couple times, seeing no picks, seeing four touchdowns out of Mr. Carrington, Mr. Unlimited. And just to Kalen Metcalf, just he caught that taunting penalty for like a lot of extra, extra. Like it was deserved for sure. <laughs> I love the swagger that this team now plays with. And if any of you are wondering, oh, was Russ cooking? They called more run plays than pass plays. So, you know, Pete Carroll's happy. And when Russ is happy, shit, watch out. This is going to be a great season. Until they lose. (laughs) Uh, All right, I got the Jets, Panthers. Uh, Man, this one, I had this one on the calendar as one to kind of pay attention to just because I always thought Sam Darnold, I, I thought the Jets have sort of mismanaged their quarterback talent for quite a while now, going back as far as Mark Sanchez, who I, well, I didn't think would ever be, you know, a superstar quarterback. I thought he at least had a place amongst like the mediocre quarterbacks if given enough time to develop. And then he ended up having to do that stupid split time with Tim Tebow, and it was just all downhill from there. I think Dar- uh, Sam Darnold was in the same boat. They rushed him in. Uh, didn't support him enough uh, in terms of personnel on the field. So this one I thought might have been one going to a new team, come in and, uh, you know, put a show on. And I don't know if I would necessarily say he put a show on, but he definitely came out with the win and did look better than he did uh, in his time with the Jets. The problem is uh, both teams' offensive lines struggled extremely extremely bad uh, through most of the game. Um, Zach Wilson for the Jets, it was his first start, 20 of 37, 258 yards, two passing touchdowns. Did not stop moving almost the entire game. His offensive line was terrible, terrible. Uh, The only difference between the two teams in terms of uh, offensive play was a one Christian McCaffrey because, man, that man put on a show. He literally put the team on his back and said, don't worry, whatever we need, I got you. Uh, Anybody who had questions about him coming back off injury, this game should have put that aside. He had 98 rushing yards, and he had nine receptions for 89 yards. So they could not stop him. But, again, this is the Jets. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hang my hat on this game yet. Jets are another team that have a lot of work to do. Zach Wilson didn't look terrible. I do think that there is, um, I think there is something to build on there. Um, they have to shore up that offensive line. They need to kind of figure it out. But the running game struggled. Uh, you know, Tevin Coleman carried the ball nine times for only twenty-four yards. So neither one of the uh, guys behind him, Michael Carter or Ty Johnson, were any better. So. It was it was tough. There was just not a not a lot to do in terms of the running game. If you can't get the running game going, it's really hard to stop pressure from coming in. So, um, not a great game from either side. But I think if either team, I, I, I think they both have a lot of upswing. But I'm gonna be hesitant right now to to sort of bank my money on either one of them right now. I do think Sam Darnold has a little bit more confidence. This is going to be a little bit of a confidence builder. But again, it's the Jets. The one important takeaway, though, from this game outside of, you know, either team is uh, line judge Maya Chaka was the first black woman to officiate an NFL game. 
And she said, quote, it's a privilege that I've been chosen to represent women and women of color in the most popular sport in America. Um, you love to see it. She's just the third on-field female NFL official. She's joining Sarah Thomas and, and Shannon Easton. So it is great to see them expand it a little further because, you know, we all know female NFL fans. We all know female sports fans in general. So, I mean, there's no reason. I know many of them that could talk circles around any of the people that I know who think they know the most about sports. So, Including us two clowns. Yeah, 100%. We're just literally making this shit up as we go. But uh, to see not only uh, another woman, but um, a, a woman of color getting involved, that's that's a huge step. So good for them. Congratulations, for indeed. Yeah. All right. I had the Vikings and the Bengals. This one went to OT which is what I thought the Thursday night game had a chance to go to. But Tim, hashtag let Joey roar, okay? Because that dude is making rookie contract money outplaying Mr. $88 million guaranteed Kirk Cousins. The one thing that I noticed in this game between the two teams going back and forth is that no one really wanted to put the other one out to pasture. They were just content to sort of kind of feel each other out. It's week one. We're going to see what happens. Um, Mixing kind of got going. There was some defensive pressure on either side. And you're just kind of thinking, all right, this is going to be like a 21-24 kind of game. And then at the end of regulation, it's 24-24, and you're thinking, oh, shit. This is the first OT game. This is amazing. Some mistakes were made. But when you get a 32-yard strike, the tight end, CJ Uzama, Google that guy. None of you know who he is unless you've been following the Bengals for a long time or you've tried to stream the tight end position in fantasy. That 32-yard strike, and I believe like third or fourth and one, set up the game-winning field goal. Heartbreaking for the Vikings to lose in that manner. Uh, I think that the Vikings have a lot that they have to figure out. I, don't, I think that was more of their collapse necessarily than, than the Bengals sort of being ready to play. I mean, Zach Taylor has to coach his ass off this year because if he doesn't, he's going to be out of a job. And there's a lot of pressure coming on, you know, this, this season for the Bengals, uh, you know, Joe coming back from injury as quick as he did. Uh, shout out to Nick listener of this podcast. He drafted Joe Burrow as his starting quarterback mm. in our friends fantasy league. Um, and I believe the words that he said when he did it was fuck it. Joey B's my boy. <laughs> and it, it worked out for him this week. For sure. I think it'll be a little bit more of the same going forward. The team is going to have to throw a ton. Um, so similar to what you were saying earlier with those that wide receiver situation, the Bengals have Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. They're going to flip-flop back and forth. I thought Boyd was going to get the majority of the carries coming out of the slot. This happened to be Chase and Higgins games. and There was touchdowns all around, except for Tyler Boyd, who was in every one of my damn lineups that I could get him in. So hashtag... Joey, throw to that guy. <laughs> but uh, I think we said last year, the Bengals are going to surprise some teams in, in the games they're going to win. Uh, if you had asked me before this game, who's going to win? I said Vikings hand down. I, I just wouldn't have thought that the Bengals had the gumption to get over it. Now I'm going to take a, a, a second look, you know, depending on the opponent going forward. Nice. Uh, real quick before we uh, go any further, uh, how many leagues are you in? Four. What's your record, Dino? Three and one. Your boy is undefeated in all five of his. Damn. I'm going to crack this little uh, old Forrester 1910 here to sidecar 
this bish a little bit as I get into uh, Arizona and Tennessee. Um, so we all know how big on Ryan Tannehill I am. Um, was am am I, I I was I was literally rooting for them last year. I thought he was one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the league. Uh, it kind of faltered a little bit towards the end. I'm, I'm still big on him, but I think this one was more just, uh, you know, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals just figuring it out all in the same day. Every aspect of their game worked incredibly well. The Titans were smothered on both sides of the ball. Kyler Murray was impressive all game, both in terms of avoiding pressure and with his arm. He was 21 of 39. He had 289 passing yards. He had one rushing touchdown of his own. Um, their defense, especially, and embrace yourself for this one, Sam. I'm sorry, but Chandler Jones shut down every aspect of the Titans' offense. I almost got a Chandler Jones like throwback jersey because that would have been fun. Um, but anyway, uh, he he literally just shut down every aspect. If he wasn't pass rushing, he was uh, out protecting against the pass. He was all over the field. It was fantastic. Um, Tannehill couldn't find room at all. He was constantly on the move. He was under pressure from Jones. Uh, he did go 21 of 35, but five of his passes were batted down by the defense. So it was a super tough outing. Um, and speaking of which, Henry was just completely nowhere to be seen. He had 17 carries for 38 yards. I think this speaks a little bit more for how well-rounded the Cardinals are than I think it does how poor the Titans played. I mean, the Titans clearly are not going to play this poorly week in and week out. They're going to get uh, Henry going. Tannehill's going to sort of figure it out. But uh, I think this just goes to show how dangerous the Cardinals are going to be going forward. Uh, Murray kind of showed some flashes in the pan last year. He had some good games and some bad games. It was a little inconsistent, but uh, if he continues this up against a tough team like Tennessee, then, you know, that might be a team to kind of keep your eye on going through the uh, remainder of the season. And again, we know this is all just week one projections, but, you know, if we don't make these, you know, drastic hot takes, then what else are we going to say? But this could be a team that's already playoff bound. <laughs> Toughest division of football, NFC West. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, getting to another NFC West team, 49ers, Detroit Lions. If you'd asked me before the game, I said, San Francisco is going to put a 50-burger on. There's just no way. San Francisco, for a good part of the game there, was in control. Then they were on the ropes, and somehow they got a split decision, which is what I'm going to characterize this game as. (laughs) This was the Logan Paul (laughs) NFL game of this week. There was a couple times it looked like he was going to get knocked the fuck out, and he did it. He made it through the fight. And I don't know if that's imposter syndrome and the Lions are for real, or if the 49ers just experienced a really, really bad case of the Sundays. Uh, Raheem Mostert is now on IR as a result of this game. He had chip in his cartilage of the knee. He's, he's out for eight weeks. Uh, if you had started anyone besides Debo Samuel, you didn't score any fantasy points this weekend because they went to all of the people that were, you were not going to think. The first person on the San Francisco 49ers to score a touchdown was Trey Lance. And then you're thinking, oh, there's got to be quarterback controversy. Jimmy G comes in and just keeps the train going. Kittle had a fumble. Was it a fumble? A lot of people have hot takes about it. 
San Francisco did what they needed to do. They they absolutely could put it together and score a ton of points to win that game. Um, TJ Hawkinson, super trendy, hipstery fantasy football pick, seems to be the only person Jared Goff has any chemistry with. Uh, DeAndre Swift wasn't supposed to play in this game. He did a lot. Jamal Williams, transplant from the Packers. He's doing a lot. I was pleasantly surprised by what the Lions were able to do in this game. And San Francisco put them away like they should have. The fact that I'm worried about for San Francisco is Shanahan has all these wild ideas and he has two quarterbacks and there's all this controversy and he's saying, we're not going to pay attention to it. We're just going to use both the quarterbacks. Well, that's a great idea in theory, right? Pete Carroll did it with uh, uh, Reggie Bush and and, uh, Lendale White at USC back in the day. But he didn't do it with quarterbacks. He did it with other skill positions. When you do it with the quarterback position, I feel like you're playing with fire. If it works for Shanahan right now, he's going to continue to do it. I was very surprised to see the team that Jared Goff is leading in Detroit put up that many points on the San Francisco 49ers. That's my main takeaway from this game. I don't think the Detroit Lions are going to win the division by any stretch of the imagination. But I feel it's a super positive sign. Brand new head coach, new quarterback, a lot of new players, new system they're trying to implement. Putting up 33 on a team that was in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, that's a pretty damn good showing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had uh, Steelers-Bills. Uh, and this 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 was just a very strange game because there's not a lot of production from any one particular player on either offenses. Uh, ben was held to under 200 yards in the air, and all three of his running backs were held to a – to under 100 yards combined, which is, you know, come out for a win, I think goes to show how poorly the Bills played in this particular game. Um, the win came off of a, a, a blocked punt that was returned for a, a, a touchdown, but it was just a not that interesting game. Steelers were unremarkable on both sides of the ball. Uh, the one takeaway I would say if you had to pick one was the Steelers defense they did look like the real deal they made josh allen look really uncomfortable the whole time constant pass rushing um the bills offensive line didn't look that great there's just not a lot to take away from this game um allen did show some flashes in the pan but he didn't really try and attempt any sort of deep passes or any sort of aggressive passes like you saw um you know several times last year but the only takeaway is that in order for the Bills, who everyone keeps rooting for to take over that division now that Tom Brady has moved on, uh, they need to put a lot of work and effort into their uh, pass protection and their offensive line in general if they're hoping to make any sort of turnaround for any of this. Uh, but yeah, I think neither one of these teams are really teams that look like they're poised to go on and do anything great at this point. I know it's still week one, but um you know, I think the Bills are going to rebound fine, but the Steelers is a team that I'm a little bit more alarmed about. Juju had almost nothing going, you know, and being their most marquee player, you kind of got to wonder, you know, who that's on. Is it the, like, the new, I know there's not a lot of chemistry there either. Ben's playing behind a bunch of guys that he literally met, you know, this offseason. Uh, some, some new play calling going to play. There's just a lot that needs to be figured out on that side. The Bills just need to figure out a way to defend a little bit more against that pass rush, and they may be fine. Um, Steelers got off with a little bit of luck on this one, but um, 
both of these teams are teams that have a lot of big question marks that need to be looked at. Uh, and for me, one of those big question marks is actually uh, Big Ben himself. He didn't look comfortable at all. He didn't look like uh, th- there were there were some moments where he looked a little bit uh, sort of lost, like another guy we're going to talk about here in another couple minutes. But um, yeah, that was. Uh, I think this is one that kind of you know, and I could be speaking a little too early. He may bounce back, but this is this is one for me that I felt like may have showed his age a little bit, but we'll see. We'll see. It's week one. Strong possibility. Strong possibility. Tim, what's better than twenty-eight to three? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Thirty-two to six. Oh, this is true. This is true. Uh, the, we. This will be. This is an Easter egg. But uh, we recorded an episode that didn't make it to air after all the head coaches, the new head coaches, were hired. And I remember dinging two coaches in particular: the head coach of the Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell, and the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Sirianni. And I just remember seeing the reports at the time and just reading so much into that, the powder puff pieces that come out at those hires. And I was like, who the hell is Nick Sirianni? Like, what did he do for the, like, you know, for the Colts? Like, you know, how how is this guy going to (sighs) help? You made that comment earlier about, um, you know, you thought that Gronk was going to be good in fantasy. And you said, anyone has got him. And so they drafted him. They're lying. Tim, I'm here to tell you. Your boy went three and one. And in the league that he didn't win, this was on his bench. One Robert Gronkowski and one Devonta Smith mm-hmm. from the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep. Uh, Jalen Hurts has been one of those quarterbacks that's been hyped up. There was all this talk last year between whether it was him or Hurts or what was going to happen. Tim's been on the on the Hurts train, and I was taken a hurting by leaving Devonta Smith on the bench. I targeted him in drafts because I thought, this guy won the Heisman. He is going to be productive. And all these knocks about, oh, he's super small and skinny as a receiver, that shit didn't matter when he was playing people in the SEC, so it shouldn't have mattered in the NFL. And I let that get the best of me, and he sat on my bench for 19 points. And I needed those 19 points because I lost by 20. So it uh, – For those of you who can't see it, that's my team with Jalen Hurts as my starting quarterback beating Matt Stafford, who had a hell of a game. Hell of a game. Uh, I was completely floored. I thought with Arthur Smith coming from the Titans, working with Matt Ryan, number four pick overall, Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Mike Davis. I thought you're going to have something there. It's not going to be the Titans, but you're going to you're going to be able to move the ball. For them not to do that, for interceptions, for all the mid- defensive miscues, and then for Philadelphia to just get it going and never look back. I would have thought the game would have been closer, much closer. Um, I don't, I think this is a complete fluke. It, there are some teams that prepare for week one and some teams that are like, I need week one to be the wake up call <laughs> for my players because they're not listening to me. And I, yeah. I think we're more leaning towards that one here. Uh, it's very evident that Hertz is ready for this moment. It's very evident that the team is ready to prove a lot of people wrong. And it's very evident that if you count out, the Eagles in a team like the NFC East, you're probably going to lose some prop bets or you might lose some fantasy games going forward. I'm going to make some really hard decisions about whether or not I'm going to insert Smith into the lineup because he's not going to get two touchdowns every single week, but the guy has immense speed teams don't know how to, had a scheme for him yet. And Oh, here's the best part. 
Hertz continues to look for him. There are many times in that game where he was clearly occupied with looking to see if he could connect. Uh, and for those of you who have been a longtime Philly fans for fantasy, you've probably been drafting guys like Boston Scott or Zach Ertz and just hoping that the, they would get a ton of receptions. I'm not saying Devonta's the future of the position. It's pretty obvious he is. I don't think I have to say it. I'm just saying, if I could go back in time, take the time stone, go back, I'd definitely put Devonta Smith in my lap, and you should too. <laughs> um, Hertz was a last-minute change, and I'm glad I swapped him out because I have him on a team with Mac Jones. So my Ooh. biggest Mac Jones Jones. My uh, my my biggest fumble, uh, if you will, was keeping. Uh, and nobody saw this coming. Well, I'll, I'll I'll get into that a little bit more as we as we get closer. But uh, Jameis Winston is on my bench for one of my teams, and. <laughs> uh, I actually had Mac Jones in for him. Uh, so, you know, that part is what it is. But we'll get into that in a second. <clears throat> so, I had Kansas City and the Browns. And if you thought that this was going to be a phenomenal game, uh, that would have been news to me. I thought, for whatever reason, even though I know they had a, a, a mostly healthy team coming back in Cleveland, uh, and, you know, everybody knows the deal with Kansas City. I thought it was going to still lean pretty heavy towards Kansas City. And the Browns almost fucked around and won this game. It was not the, 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 the matchup I was expecting to be this good. Mayfield and Mahomes combined for over 600 yards together. Mayfield almost, almost pulled out the win. But late in the game, uh, he had pressure was trying to throw the ball away, stepped up into the pocket and leaned to the sideline to throw it out. And as he went to throw it, uh, his ankle, like a, a defender reached out, grabbed his ankle for a tackle. So he went off balance. And when he threw it, uh, it missed going out of bounds by like two yards. But uh, Kansas City was able to go up, grab it, pull it in, turn the ball over, basically sealing the win at that point. But um, Tyreek Hill, God damn. Uh, damn. I have a, uh, I have a keeper league and I paid like six and not only is it a keeper league, but it's a keeper league in an auction draft. And I paid like 50 bones for that guy. So I was broke pretty much the rest of the, the draft. Uh, <laughs> and that man literally paid that sucker off in, uh, one week because he got me 31.60 points in that game. He had 11 receptions. For 197 yards. That is just complete insanity. Um, but to Baker's credit, he looked really sharp. He didn't make any questionable plays. He wasn't trying to force the ball downfield. He wasn't doing anything that put the ball in danger except for one play. And unfortunately, that one play is the one that really came back to bite him in the ass. Um, but I was very surprised and pleased about how they played. I do think the Browns are going to be a team that are going to go out. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows what Kansas City is going to do. Um, I do think teams are starting to figure them out a little bit. I said that I said that last season. Uh, all it came season. to fruition in the Super Bowl. Yep, I said that going into the, uh, into the playoffs. Uh, I recapped that going into the Super Bowl, and I said it again after. The, and here we are, week one. You know, they did put up a ton of points, but you know, when you got a guy who cannot be stopped and a guy 
you know, Tyree Kill. It's like putting Usain Bolt out there and in cleats and teaching him how to catch a ball. There's just it's he's so hard to defend against. They're gonna put up a ton of points, but I mean Cleveland came out, they put up a, a hell of a run for it. So I think decent teams are gonna, you know, put up a bigger showing than what we I think anticipate going forward with Kansas City. They haven't really made a ton of changes. They're really kind of like leaning into what they have and the success that they have had. The problem with that is it means that there's a hell of a lot of tape out there that you can watch. So I'd be curious to see how this kind of moves on down the stretch. But that that might be, uh, you know, a headline worth watching. Just, I expected so much more. I just, I really did. <laughs> from, oh, from from me, from Cleveland, or from the team you're about to talk to? Uh, it, it's a general trend, but yes, I expected more from Cleveland out of that game. Okay. If you, I, I, I know we were just going back and forth. We're not supposed to talk, you know, during the other person's session because we're supposed to respect them. But if you're fine, how many times have I have I gone to the mat to defend Baker Mayfield? The boy puts out a moto video talking about all his friggin' haters. And he loses like that. Yeah, just... but I mean, I that one's that one's a yeah. You lost the game, but that one is a that one's a tough one. That one is like he was he was making the right move and trying to throw the ball away. Now, you could make an argument that maybe he wasn't trying to throw the ball away, and that that ankle grab kind of threw off you know his his actual pass attempt because. Have. But I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I. I feel like if I was going to throw the ball away, I'm trying to put it in like the stands, but uh, especially in that situation and to have it be that close to the sideline. But again, I've also never been running while a 350 pound man, you know, grabs my ankles as I'm trying to throw it. So (laughs) I'll I'll give him a little credit. You expect Kansas city to win every single game and to come that close to winning it. It's tough. I can't really fault him. He had a, he had a phenomenal game. So uh, I got to give it to him. Be, be interested to see what the Browns do this year. All right, uh, Green Bay, New Orleans. <laughs> this this was this was supposed to be the last dance. Uh, let's just start off with a couple. Uh, it, it is the last dance. <laughs> I feel like clickbait. The last team to get blown out this bad by the Saints won the Super Bowl that season. Galaxy brain. This is the last dance. Did you see their social media post? Reality. You already said it, Tim. This is the fucking last dance. And this is not a very good retirement tour. This is not this is not like the Kobe Bryant. I'm gonna go out and score 60 points every single night, get standing ovations. And if that's what Rodgers and Devonta Adams are thinking it's gonna happen this season, they need to go ahead and get their minds right real quick. Because in no way, shape, or form should the New Orleans Saints be going deep on you and abusing your corners. Jameis Winston should not have that many touchdown passes. And then the conversation about LASIK be trending on social media. Because suddenly he can see his receivers. That should not be a thing. It should not be a thing at all. Rodgers man bun, his little pregame interview with Aaron Andrews, don't care about it. Don't care about it at all. I want you to go out there, wrist flick from hell. I want you to just ruin teams that you go up. If you're going to put something on your social media about the last dance and how this is the team, this is the year you guys are going to come out, what a way to fall flat. If you'd lost a game like, 16 to 21, I, I could understand uh, a little bit. Three points. Three points. Rodgers could have thrown it into the dirt every single pass 
and had a higher passer rating than what he ended the game with. And Jameis Winston, Mr. I'm going to eat this W, one of the worst pregame speeches I've ever seen on camera. Is he like, this is his character arc. This is his redemption. This is his hero story. And he was able to go ahead and make mincemeat out of a Packers team that has great defensive ends. They had no business, no business that pocket being that clean for Jameis to get huge five and seven step drops and just find people super down the field open. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Oh boy. The Packers, whatever, whatever issue there is, take saves like Kyrie does, sage the stadium, get everyone in a room, figure out what they got to do. And if the GM and the quarterback and all the skill position players need to look at each other and say, you're look, you're contractually obligated to, to be there this year. Just use it as fuel and every defensive back. You can just put my face on as a GM and just juke them out of their shoes. You can stiff arm someone into the stands. I don't care, but I want you to give me everything this year. And then you can go play wherever you want because when your team is getting blown out and the quarterback is sitting on the sidelines, kind, I mean, I get it. It's like bad time with the cameras, but if your quarterback is not scored a single touchdown all game and he's just smirking on the sidelines, it just doesn't bode well for you. In my opinion, I just don't like that. Yeah, there was, I mean, not, not to, to dabble too much into it, but um, it's some, something's up there. I don't quite know what it is. Um, the weird thing about Jameis Winston is everyone keeps talking about how great of a game he has. He had five touchdown passes, but he only had a total of 148 yards. So he was yeah. playing a lot of like short field and I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit before I get all on board with the Jameis Winston train, he only attempted 20, 20 passes and he only completed 14 of those. This is just a collapse of the Packers defense yeah, and just a complete, you know, disappearing Failure. act of their, uh, their offensive side more so than this is, um, you know, I think a, a good New Orleans team, because don't forget, they also had eight guys who were on the COVID list. So like, this is a game that never should have gone this way. Yeah. But this is this is the game you burn the game tape, right? Yeah, I hope so because thirteen and three in back to back seasons. Now those three losses each of those seasons came to pretty high powered teams, not Jameis Winston led teams. So yeah. yeah, burn this one, Tim. Tell us about the the Broncos and the G men. I will, I will. But the last thing I have to say is, do you know offhand the quarterback rating for Aaron Rodgers in that game? Wasn't it like thirty? 32 or something like that. 33.5 was Jordan Love's quarterback rating who came in and went five for seven. That was <sighs> twice as high as Aaron Rodgers' 13.4. Oh, God. <laughs> go, Pat, go. Go, uh, anyway, Pat, go. If, if that trends that way. the fucking film room. <laughs> yeah, if that trends that way, I really hope the conversation in terms of Brady versus Rodgers is like, Put out the pasture, but anyway. Uh, speaking of big surprises, uh, I got Denver. Uh, I got the Broncos and the Giants, and we had a quarterback. I don't know if you've heard of him, but his name is uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah, he's made the rounds on a couple teams, but holy shit, he looked like a legitimate quarterback this weekend. He went twenty-eight for thirty-six. He had two hundred and sixty-four yards, but more impressive, 
was how well he moved when he was under pressure. He was passing on the move. He was dropped back. He was avoiding pressure altogether. Um, but this might be one of the best games, if not the best game I have ever seen him playing, considering how bad the running game was for Denver. For, uh, Denver. Uh, Jerry Judy was primed for a breakout game this season. Uh, uh, in this game in particular, it's his second year. He had 72 yards on six passes, but uh, he ended up getting carted off the field uh, for an ankle injury into the third. Thankfully, it seems that it might just be a hot ankle sprain. X-rays all came back negative, so uh, he might be out a game or two, but should come back and still perform pretty well. But um, the other surprising thing was Von Miller was still out there all over the field looking like a superstar. He was dialing in pressure. He recorded a couple sacks. He looked like uh, some of the spry young fellows out there, you know, running all over the field. Um, Jones did look pretty decent uh, in, in terms of, you know, his ability to move and, and, and get around and, and try and get the ball downfield. However, the turnover bug once again followed him into the start of this season. Um, he showed some impressive movement in the pocket. He made some runs when he had to. He had an impressive scramble that brought them to the Denver 15-yard line, but then he immediately coughed the ball up. And then from that point on, it was just a shit show. Uh, the worst thing about that is he leads the entire NFL with the most interceptions and fumbles since 2019 with, I think it's 48. Uh, it's not where you want to be. Their running game struggled uh, all around as well. Saquon was their leading rusher, and he had a total of 27 yards. Um, the only saving grace, though, in that loss was that the defense was showing promise. You had Logan Ryan and Reggie Ragland just tearing people up, putting pressure on, making a lot of uh, you know good plays throughout the entire game, but the offense just could not support him on their end. So it's a, it's another game we're talking about over the weekend where the running game struggled to get going, and when that happens, you turn into a pretty one-dimensional team, and it's pretty easy to find ways to defend against that. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, we've got to get Saquon going. I know he's been injury ridden over the last few years, but he seems back and he seems healthy. Once he gets going, I feel like potentially, uh, you know, that team could turn around. And you got the back to back, sir. I did get the back to back. So I also have Miami and new England and, uh, this was an interesting one because a lot of people put a lot of stock in Mac Jones. I was one of them. Um, there was a lot of conversation going into the draft and after the draft about, you know, the quarterbacks who were taken. And a lot of folks thought that Mac Jones deserved to go higher and was one of the better quarterbacks uh, in the draft. The difference is he doesn't maybe scramble as well as some of the other guys, but some of his decision making. Um, is sort of parallel to what you used to see from like an early Tom Brady coming out of college and then, you know, starting in the league. And that kind of changed the perspective on what you look at for quarterbacks. Was it the fastest? No. Was it the biggest or the strongest? No. But was his game time decision-making uh, on par? And I, in my, even though they lost this game, in my opinion, I, I do think that that was the case. I think uh, Tua came out. He, he, Played well enough, but I wouldn't say he played, you know, remarkable in any capacity. I think the um, the Patriots secondary 
looked pretty bad in this game. If I'm being honest, if there's one big question mark, I, I think that that is what it is. You, you would think that Mac Jones is going to come out and struggle a little bit, but he did make some impressive throws. He made some really good decision-making. He didn't really put himself in position or the ball in jeopardy by forcing any plays downfield. He was patient and he kind of waited. Um, but I think this is one of those games where, you know, we had a lot of guys who are out. Uh, our entire secondary core has been sort of decimated by injuries that, you know, some of these guys hopefully should be coming back over the next couple of weeks. But from what I saw in Mac Jones, I think he deserves to be in that position. No offense to, to Cam Newton. Cam Newton probably would have put you in like a similar position. Maybe he would have scrambled a little bit more for, you know, some some shorter downs or whatnot. But I don't know if, if Cam's decision-making uh, would have been up there. I was impressed by Mac Jones' arm. I thought what he did was great with what he had. I hoped his defense would have helped him out a little bit more and given him more opportunities. But unfortunately, uh, you know, they let up for some some pretty big gains. They had some some pretty substantial stops that they needed to make, and they just didn't. Tua looked good and moved around well enough. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of concern about his lower body and his hips and his knees and everything, but he looked fine out there moving around. Uh, the way we, as poorly as our defense played, you would have thought he would have put up more points, and the fact that he didn't is a little bit of a question mark. Um, I don't know if they're going to be like a runaway team this year, but the the flip side to all this is that the the Dolphins and the Patriots always play against each other very very tough, right? The the Patriots undefeated season, we had one blowout game and then one game we almost lost. So every single season, uh, no matter what our record looks like or how well we're playing, it's always a crapshoot when we go into Miami. I don't think this game was really any different. They have a lot of game tape. There hasn't been a lot of changeover in the play calling uh, on the Patriots side. So, you know, they they were all they were able to scheme against that. You throw in a rookie quarterback in there who just got, you know, named the starter before right before week one started. So I think this Patriots team is gonna win more games than they did last year. I think they're gonna come out and play well. And I think it's kind of the the turning of that leaf. Miami, they still got some things to figure out. They should have been able to uh put more points on the board in this one, but fortunately didn't. Yeah, I happened to watch both of those games, uh, the the Miami-New England game and the, and the Giants-Broncos uh, game, flipping back and forth between a Sunday ticket. Shout out to that company, <clears throat> DirecTV. <laughs> I happened to watch, though, the Sunday night game. Mm-hmm. Now, Tim, I don't know if you, you're on the social medias. Maybe you've seen. Uh, there was an individual who, uh, according to Bleacher Report betting, actually put a $45,000 bet on the Bears to beat the Rams. That bet would have paid out $185,000. I'll spoil it for you right here. Uh, the Bears lost by 20. They scored 14 points, and the Los Angeles Rams scored 34 in Matt Stafford's debut for this team, throwing for 300 yards, throwing for multiple touchdowns, uh, looking exactly like the reason why Sean McVay risked a tampering fine uh, to go have a drink with this guy on the beach, wherever they were, um, because it's it's very obvious that the team was missing just a bit of a spark. Uh, there have been some injuries. The defense is looking good, and the Rams are clicking. 
and not clicking like, oh, you know, we're we're just kind of figuring it all out. And we've had some lucky breaks. Like the Rams look like they're in midseason form week one, barring a ton of injuries to this team or questionable losses. This this represents one of the biggest threats in the NFC right now. I mean, I, of course, outside the Seahawks, but they, they, those teams always play each other tough. They th- waxed the Bears. I, I understand Matt Nagy's coaching for his job this year. Him saying that he owes it to Andy Dalton to see what he has in the team, and then Andy Dalton gets outplayed in the preseason by Justin Fields, and you're just like, yeah, whatever. It's the preseason. Then Fields comes in and scores a touchdown when when the Bears can't do anything, and then they put Andy Dalton back on the field. It's like the inverse of what Shanahan did, but it backfired because they didn't win the game. Uh, and you're just kind of like, Matt, what are you doing, Bob? Like, this is not good. David Montgomery, Damian Williams, that should be a one-two running back combo. You should just be tricking defenses into leaving light boxes because you want to be hitting Allen Robinson across the slant or hitting Cole Komet. These are the types of things you want your team to be doing. You can only do that if you have a quarterback who threatens to run the ball or pass the ball just as good every single snap. Andy Dalton is not that. Andy Dalton has not been that. Andy Dalton will not be that. I understand that Justin Fields is a rookie. It is the worst thing that they could be doing for this franchise to sit and wait and hope that Dalton is going to give them a spark. It is a very bad idea. I get that he's a young rookie quarterback. You don't want to ruin his career. But guess what? You drafted him high. You have no choice. And you don't have Jimmy G as your starting quarterback. So throw caution to the wind, Bears. What the hell are you doing? This was in prime time. At the Rams site. Full packed house. It's where the Super Bowl is going to be. And the Bears, damn sure, are not going to be there. As uh, Sam alluded to earlier, uh, the weekend started with a bang, and it ended with uh, just as good a bang, uh, at least at face value. Uh, so we had the uh, Ravens and the Raiders playing on Monday night, and it turned into the overnight barn burner. It was an exciting game, uh, at least when you you know looked at the back and forth. The problem is, is that neither quarterback played exceptionally well, uh, both of which finished with a QB rating of under 60. Um, Lamar Jackson, for me, has been someone who, unfortunately, on this podcast, I'm also on record as saying that I would have taken over Patrick Mahomes last season. Uh, <laughs> we all know how that worked out. Not well. Very bad. Um, as you're wearing to kill him at Cap Jersey. Yeah, so my picks, my big picks have not been that great. Um, I mean, this one was, while while it was a good game, it felt a little bit sort of one-dimensional on both sides of the ball. It felt like Lamar Jackson was really the guy trying to keep this game going. In fact, he was their lead rusher, which is always a red flag. Tyson Williams, Latavius Murray. And I know, you know, I have to – pause for a second and say that this team is basically reeling with the worst injury bug you could possibly have from like August 25th until now, uh, like six of their starters have gone out for season ending injuries, almost all of them with ACL injuries. So, you know, Williams and, and Murray are both still in the process of getting caught up. So I'm not, I'm not at all dismissing this team as a team that's not going to compete, but their running game, you know, was 
I won't say non-existent because Williams put up 65 yards and Murray put up 28 yards, but still, anytime your quarterback is your lead rusher, that's a big red flag. It means he doesn't either have confidence in handing the ball off or his receivers aren't able to get open. There's always a reason for when that happens. Um, it's hard to say in this game because he was able to dish the ball out 235 yards. It was spaced out over six different receivers. So, you know, there were plenty of opportunities. They just didn't capitalize on, on them quite as much. Uh, in fact, they had, they were in position to win this game. Unfortunately, Lamar Jackson trying to do too much ended up fumbling the ball again, late in the game, gave the Raiders ball, the ball back in overtime, Marched down the field for a walk-off uh, for Josh Jacobs. And that was, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, for Zay Jones. And that was it. But uh, this is one of those games where Carr just, it looked better on film in-game. It looked like he was firing on all cylinders. Um, he pleaded 34 of 56. He had 435 yards. When you see those, you think, wow, this was this was a phenomenal a phenomenal game. He threw two interceptions. He had one inter- He had one, uh, two touchdowns. He had one interception. But again, he finished roughly right above fifty percent. Had a QB rating of fifty-two point eight. They're a team that if they're able to get their rushing going, which they were unable to do in this game, is all in the air. Their team total in rushing was eighty-two yards, but. Uh, in terms of throwing the ball, uh, Darren Waller was the only person he called for almost every time and then would default to somebody else. Waller had 10 receptions on the day. The next highest was six with Hunter Renfro. Uh, and then it literally just plummets from there. It goes five for Kenyon Drake, four for Brian Edwards, and then two for Zay Jones, Henry Ruggs. Alec Ingold did get four, but Josh Jacobs only had one. So, it was still uh, like a, a. It was almost like they were trying to do too much with their receiving core, not putting enough attention on their rushing. You're, you're making attempts. There's a lot of drop balls. Carr wasn't looking exactly clean the entire time. Uh, there were several times where he put the ball well behind or overthrew somebody. Um, which, by the way, if you didn't watch it. ESPN2 had Peyton Manning and Eli Manning calling this game, and they would bring in uh, random athletes to come in and, and talk. And Charles Barkley was the first one. And at one point, he literally said, man, is this guy going to overthrow everybody? <laughs> Eli Connie Eli came to his defense. And this is the first time he's really overthrown him. But it kind of became part of like the running conversation. Uh, they came out with a win. You can't argue against that. They both put up a lot of a lot of points. Uh, but I think this game misrepresents the quality of the gameplay by either one of these two teams. It just happened to be that the defense was having a hard time with making any big stops other than the big stop uh, the Ravens made in overtime to get the ball back. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it, it's hard to say. The the Ravens are going to obviously get better as their running backs hopefully get up to speed and carry it on. I think the Raiders, this is kind of what you're going to expect out of this team. They'll probably fine-tune it a little bit, but if teams can start scheming against taking Waller out of the equation, 
I think they're in trouble. Waller's definitely Carr's uh, security blanket. So we'll see what happens as teams start to, you know, scheme against that and take him out of the play. It was a great game. OT didn't go to bed till well after midnight. <laughs> what is the Raiders' motto? It's just win, baby, and that's exactly what they did. Tim, let's give our predictions real quick. Week two, I'll start Thursday night football. The G-Men versus Washington football team. Ryan Fitzpatrick for the Washington football team on IR, hip issues. Taylor Heineke, as you already pointed out, three career touchdown passes. Never had more than one touchdown pass uh, in a season, and he's going to need to triple that every single game in order to keep them competitive. The Giants lost the game last week that they kind of should have been in the mix for. They did have Saquon on a pitch count. I think the Giants pull it out this week. Hmm. Uh, I got New England versus the Jets. Uh, I think Wilson is probably going to play a little bit better as time goes on. I think the New England defense, unless they make some changes, is going to give them an opportunity to kind of work out some of those kinks. But at the same time, I think Mac Jones is going to get to sort of flex some of his ability against a struggling Jets defense. Um, I think this one's going to be another one that's probably closer than I'm comfortable with, but I do think New England's ultimately going to put together a better game plan for this one. Very nice. Get that get that dub in week two for the Pats. Uh, I've got Broncos, Jacksonville. Look, they got Waxonville last week, and they're not going to find a way to – like those type of issues that you have in those games don't just go away versus a Vic Fangio-led team who's a defensive mastermind. Teddy B is getting some confidence. Um, Jared Judy was carted off the field last week. They're going to have to continue to run the ball, take situational passes, and their defense is just so much better than the Jags. Denver all day. I got Buffalo, Miami. Uh, I think this might be a bounce back game for Buffalo. I mean, Miami kind of struggled a little bit uh, against you know a New England team struggling with injuries, uh, who had a hard time defending against the pass. I think Josh Allen is going to, you know, make a couple adjustments, come back. In my opinion, I, th- I think this is going to be, you know, not necessarily a statement game, but I do think he, he puts it together. Two is going to come out, you know, he'll have a decent game as well, but he's still, you know, trying to figure it out a little bit. So I'm going to go Josh Allen and the Bills with this one. Wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised anything less than Allen the Chipmunks or Allen's Coffee Brandy or Allen and the Family or any of those other terrible fantasy football names that I've attempted <laughs> to come up with here. All right, 49ers, Eagles. Look, I left Devonta Smith on my bench this week. Probably not going to do it next week. That doesn't mean I think that the Eagles have a snowball chance in hell at beating a Shanahan-led team with not one, but two healthy quarterbacks. Give me the 49ers versus the Eagles. Probably another shootout but I, I trust a Kyle Shanahan-led led team. Uh, Rams, Indy. Uh, this one is a little bit of a tough one for me only because I find myself, for one reason or another, pulling for Carson Wentz because I do want to see him do well. I want to see him land on a team and perform. Um uh, Yeah. Uh, oh, he's gonna do it. I don't. I don't know if I. I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna. Um. You know what? Yeah, I'm gonna. I know the Rams are favorites to win this one, but I'm gonna go. 
I'm going to go indie. I think they're going to, you know, go back, take a look at tape this week, see what changes they could have made uh, in terms of uh, some of their play calling. And I think they're going to come out with a better plan. I'm going to, I'm going to give this one to Indy. Upset. Uh, first upset of the week. Try. Right. I got the Raiders versus Pittsburgh. Look, their car, 435 yards last week. You left that out. He had the most passing yards out of anyone in the league. Now I get it. It's week one. And the Baltimore Ravens defense was supposed to be good on paper. They've had injuries. Mm-hmm. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense kind of tuned up against an MVP candidate last week. And they they held on pretty well. I don't see the Las Vegas Raiders doing what they did to the Ravens, to the Steelers. It's not going to happen. Pittsburgh, bounce back. Think so? Yeah, they're going to start 2-0. I'm going to call that a bold prediction. Uh, all right, I got Cincy versus Chicago. Uh, I'm going to go Cincinnati. I know Chicago uh, just had a you know a, a, a little bit of an eye-opener. I know there's uh, some ongoing, like, you know, when do they move on? When do they not move on? Uh, I think Burroughs is kind of finding his place a little bit. I think he's kind of in a position where he's only going to get better as time goes on. Uh, I think they're also a favorite to win this weekend. So I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. The 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 let Joey Roar train, as you call it, as long. Tim, as it's long, hashtag and, let Joey Roar. I mean, as long as long as as long as he's able to to, you know, divvy up the ball a little bit more. I think uh, I think he's got a chance. All right, I got Texans Cleveland. Look, it was a nice Cinderella story for the Texans to get that dub, but they're going to get their first L for, for the head coach, David Culley. I think that the Browns are going to be like, the fuck, dude? We should have won that game last week, and they're going to come out. Odell Beckham did not play that game last week. Surprise and active right before. I think he's coming back. He's going to be healthy. It's going to be a bloodbath. Cleveland Browns. <laughs> uh, New Orleans, Carolina. Uh, I know everyone after game one is leaning towards uh, New Orleans because of that crazy game, but I don't think they're going to be suffering from the same level of dysfunction as the Packers are. So I'm actually going to say Carolina is going to ride a little bit of the the momentum they did after game one. I think Winston's going to kind of gravitate back towards the mean. I think this will be a close one. I know New Orleans is the favorite here, but I'm going to go uh Carolina in a close game. Ballsy. So ballsy. I I know. I know. All right. Minnesota, Arizona. Until at such point as Kyler Murray shows me that he doesn't have an insane throw across his body. Until at such point that DeAndre Hopkins can't high point, catch a ball, one-handed, toe tap, pirouette, be a Russian ballerina in the corner of the end zone and score. Until Chandler Jones and JJ Watt and the rest of that defense doesn't just feast on every single team, to include my beloved Seattle Seahawks, I'm not going to pick against the Cardinals. The team is just too stacked. And it, it, it's it's stacked on paper, and the eye test is just backing it up. I'm sorry, Vikings fans, Arizona, and don't be surprised if it's by two touchdowns. Uh, I got the Falcons and Buccaneers. Uh, Buccaneers defense is still plagued a little bit by uh, injuries. 
Um, Sean Murphy Bunting is still on the injured reserve list, so that's a little bit of a shot. However, Atlanta is a little bit of a mess right now. I, you know, I love Matt Ryan. I wonder how short of a leash he might be on. I haven't, I haven't really dove into that team enough to see where that fault lies yet. But you know, I don't know how many seasons you have in a row before you guys start looking at Matt Ryan or Matty Ice as the as the potential gap in their ability. But um, you're going up against Brady and a team firing on all cylinders. If you're lining up, you know the the season leaders from team to team. You're going up with Ryan's 164 yards against Brady's 379. Uh, you know Calvin Ridley is you know at, Atlanta's most uh the, the the highest reception so far five yards and uh five receptions and 51 yards is going up against antonio brown who also had five receptions about 120 yards and a touchdown so the numbers are not in atlanta's favor i think momentum and gameplay is also not in their favor um i think this one's going to be tampa and if they have a similar game to the that they did last week I think this one could probably get a pretty ugly. I know I know Tampa is a huge favorite in this one. So uh I think this one's a little bit of a no-brainer, unfortunately. Yeah. Tennessee, Seattle. I hear you on the Tannehill Redemption Tour. I think that the pieces are in place. The team had the COVID issues last year. The games were moved around. They almost had to forfeit a game. And then the team this year has COVID issues again. To the point where the head coach and other star players were not available to practice. You have some key off-season departures with coaches and, and, and you bring on Julio Jones and Julio Jones doesn't do a damn thing week one. And I get it. Maybe he's not playing the preseason. Maybe he doesn't have the chemistry yet. There's something fundamentally off about the, the Titans. And I think it's a hangover from last season. I'm not really sure uh, if it's the hide that are coming down on from being in the AFC championship game against the chiefs a couple years ago. And they had that, that magical run there. The Seattle Seahawks knock on wood. Okay. Have not had a positive COVID test. They didn't have anything through the entirety of 2020. Their motto is always compete. And they try to be the only team without a positive COVID test. And that shit happened. Tennessee can't even stop people from getting COVID. <laughs> and I understand it's a bit of a personal decision, right? And you have vaccines and all sorts of stuff, all that stuff aside, I think that there's something different, philosophically different between these two teams for Carroll to allow the keys to the offense to be handed to Shane Waldron and let him go out there and tear it up, call a lot of innovative run plays, call some great tight end plays as well. And then to allow Russ to cook enough where he's happy as a clam on the sidelines, not picking against that. Look, Tennessee has always played Seattle tight. It's not going to be that way this time. Seattle's going to go ahead and roll in this one. Go Hawks. I got Chargers Cowboys. Uh, I think this one's going to actually be a pretty close matchup. Um, numbers wise, they line up across the board almost identically. Um, and I know the, the money line on this one and the spread are, are both right down the middle. I'm going to go with the Cowboys only because I feel like they're going to come off of a little bit of a momentum swing that, you know, they were missing all of last season. Find a way to get Elliott more involved in this game, and I think it kind of opens up the field a lot. Right now, you know, with Elliott being pretty much a non-factor in the last game, all they had to do was worry about defending against the pass, and they still struggled against that. 
start adding in, you know, the risk of Elliott going in and blowing up the middle, it changes the dynamic quite a bit. So I'm going to go with Cowboys as long as Elliott can kind of get himself going. Um, at the same time, I know Eckler was a, uh, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Is he going to play? Started, I uh, moved him into my bench last minute, thankfully, and he got me enough to get a victory. So cheers on that. If he comes in healthy, you know, that's another dynamic to this game that was missing from the last one. He only had, he had 15 carries, but he only had 57 yards, but he did have a touchdown. So he capitalized on what he had. So honestly, I think this one could go either way, but I'm going to think the Cowboys are going to ride off of this and Elliott's going to have uh, his, his first big game of the season. I agree. Sunday night game is Kansas city, Baltimore. I watched that, that game last night. I expected Baltimore to fully, fully come out firing. And I was just kind of like, come on, really, dude? There were just just some times, like especially in the fourth quarter, where the Raiders were allowed to hang around. And they just kept going back to shots of Lamar on the sideline with one of his players. I don't know if it was Hollywood Brown, but like they just seemed to be kind of like just joshing, just just fucking around. They just didn't really care. And I think that type of attitude or the type of mentality, whether it was during that game, whether that was a shot taken out of context, all of those things, you lost the game in overtime. You made some critical mistakes when it counted, and you allowed a team who threw an end zone interception in overtime to win a game. And I don't think it's excusable at all. Um, I understand there's been injuries, but you you have Lamar Jackson, one of the most kinetic players on the field. You can't lose to a team like that. And you're going against a team in the Kansas City Chiefs who can score points at will. This isn't let's hit Darren Darren Waller for 18 receptions and he catches nine of them. This is Travis Kelsey who's going to catch six of the nine targets he's going to get for Patrick Mahomes, go over a buck and a couple touchdowns. This is Tyreek Hill absolutely Swiss cheesing your defense, which is not very good to begin with. Kansas City, it's not going to be close. All right, and then I'm going to finish it up with – Detroit and Green Bay. This one, before week one, I would have said Green Bay all the way. But you got Detroit. Jared Goff's under uh, under center now. Uh, th- three touchdowns in their first outing with 338 yards. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw 133 yards and had two interceptions. So this one is tough. I know everybody's leaning Green Bay on this one because, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Um, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. It's going to take a little bit of, you know, a little bit of turnaround. You have Dylan on Green Bay, who has a total of 19 yards last week, which is crazy to me. Um, Devontae Adams is a total of 56 yards on five receptions. So something is definitely off. Whatever that dysfunction is, whether someone's doing it on purpose, I don't know. But I do not feel comfortable picking against Green Bay until they show me otherwise. So, by default, I'm going to go with the Lions just because of the way Green Bay played last weekend against a team that I don't necessarily think – I don't necessarily think deserved the win that they had uh, in the way that they had it. So, clearly, there's a sign of something going to miss in Green Bay. So, I'm going to go against, you know, the odds. I'm going to go against, you know, Vegas and everybody else. And I'm actually going to pick Detroit on this one. Wow. Wow. That is going to do it for this episode of the Stats America podcast. Tim has just given himself not one, not two, but three upset picks for next week. And when he looks back 
because he's going to lose the total of the picks by the end of the season. He's going to point to week one yeah. where he got a freebie and then he just completely tripped over his own feet on week two. So we thank you all very much for joining this episode of Stats America Podcast. NFL's back. We're so happy. Get out there, watch all those games, drink these beers. Mm. And of course, like, share, and subscribe to this episode. I mean, what are we even talking about? Peace out. Peace. I'm going to take this goddamn jersey off. <laughs> Don't make shitty bets.